Um, if you guys can turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, we're going to continue our series uh, through the book of 1 Peter. It's called Living Like an Exile. The whole point is we are moving eventually on from this place. You understand the Bible calls us uh, basically aliens or immigrants or people that are exiles that are passing through. This is not our home. We are passing through. So we're not living for this place. We're living for where we're going. Um, I made uh, the illustration before. If you would think of your life as that little, I don't even know what it's called. My wife probably does because she gets manicures. That little white part at the end of your nail there. That would be your life here on earth. But the rest of your arm and your body would be eternity. What are you living for? Are you living for the temporary? Are you living for the eternal? And so that's what this particular Bible or a book of the Bible is. It's instructions on how to be the people that are passing through this life on their way to their home. I'm going to put up a question that I, because uh, I do devos in the morning and I like to challenge myself with a question, so I'm going to challenge you as I was going through First Peter before we started this book. What is God's plan for our physical and earthly tragedy? There is a plan, and it is in the book, and it's in this particular chapter. So if you are in a place where you find that you are struggling through some external challenges, like you have, we all have internal challenges, but there's some external challenges that you're like, okay, God, I'm trying my best to do what your plan is, but what is your plan? What is it? How do I conduct myself? How do I move through all of this? I, I want to kind of paint that picture, what, what it can look like. We're going to be talking about the sermon uh, title is, physical tragedy, but spiritual triumph. And I want to put up a picture of what that could look for you. I want you to see the seed. Uh, you see the seed pod that goes down in the ground, right? And out of that seed burst a plant, but on its way up, you can see what it does. It sheds what is unnecessary. Eventually, that, that brown part of the seed, that paper end, ends up on the ground because it's no longer necessary because the, the plant itself has transcended the need of that moment. Sometimes when we are in a tragedy, we can use that tragedy to take a moment to do one of two things. We can either say, uh, you know, God, I think you have abandoned me. That's, that's usually my, just so you guys know, if, if I'm one of these two people, it's me. I usually, like, something goes wrong. You know, like, one time my plumbing went out, and I was like, oh, God, you've abandoned me. <laughs> Till the plumber arrives. I mean, I know you're not here in this place. Um, but then there's another side. You can may use it to go, well, I don't have to follow God's plan or I have a cop out to the situation because I'm in the middle of a crisis and there's no way out. But you have to understand that when we're reading this particular scripture, the Lord is saying, I want you to look through that situation. I want you to not look at that situation. I want you to look through that situation. I'll give you a little spoiler to the end. The question is, what will God pull out of that tragedy in spiritual triumph? You have to ask yourself, even though I'm in the middle of a problem, even though I'm in the middle of a crisis, what is God's goal on the other side of this crisis? Amen. And so what we have to do is we have to look with great expectation because you know that God's always working. He's never idle. He's never far away. He's working all the time. And then you can just go through the whole Bible. How many times do people hit tragedy only to see God do something amazing, not just around them, but in them? Just think about this. I'm going to paint this picture for you really quick. How much different of a man was Daniel when he came out of the lion's den? Now, he trusted the Lord all the way in. He's in a crisis. Do we all agree? You're being lowered in the lion's den by a king who's your best friend who also doesn't want you to go. Like, nobody wants this except for the bad guys, right? But he's getting lowered down into the thing. How much has his spiritual triumph raised him to the other side? How much has his faith been raised on the other side of crisis? So that is what we're going to go through. 
I want to warn you now, we have 22 verses. I'm going to go through them. Yeah, I know you know me. I know. Uh, but we're, we're going to go. We're going to go quick, but we're going we're gonna to cover it. So, so join me in there. Uh, chapter 3, 1 Peter 3, verse 1. And I want you to see the first kind of tragedy. Now, this is an exhaustive text. He's going to just touch on different kinds of tragedies. But see how it applies to you. Verse 1 says, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. And when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. The first point that we're going to pull right out of this verse, it's going to set the pace. It says this, Our faith should be the bridge for unbelievers to trust God's grace. Now, I want to tell you what's going on in this particular moment. Paul is writing to these women not to say to them, be subservient to your husbands because that's God's plan. It's not just for you to be like lesser than. It's not even the point at all. In fact, we're going to touch on this again on Colossians this weekend. It's all about marriage again. But what he's saying in context is a lot of the women in this particular place, in this particular time. So I'm sorry, Peter's writing this. As Peter is writing this, what he's actually saying is there's a lot of women that are coming to the Lord and their husbands are not. You understand that the gospel is racing across the Mediterranean. It has left Jerusalem and it's going all across Turkey towards Greece, you know, all towards Rome. And there's all these people that are receiving the word of the Lord. But typically in this, most of these churches, the women received it before the husbands did. And so the Lord is saying here, Peter is saying here, lead louder than words. Even though your husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader and now really kind of in a way you are the spiritual leader because your husband may be a pagan, maybe doesn't you know, receive the, the gospel at all, lead louder than words. I want you to be the kind of woman that would lead their husband in this way. Show your husband how much you trust God in the middle of this because in a way he knows it's a crisis. You believe in God, right? This is a woman. You believe in God, you want to go to heaven, you want your husband to go to heaven, he doesn't want God. Would that be a tragedy for a marriage? So you can see already, go back to that seed moment, see that pod, right? The seed pod is, what is the wife? Could she consider and go, he's a lost cause, maybe God will reach me, maybe God won't reach him. But did God reach her? Yeah, well, the Lord led her spiritually, and now she's supposed to lead. And that way, I want you to say this, fall into submission to God's plan. Don't come at him with words, come at him with example. Show me, don't tell me. Show me, don't tell me. So live it out despite your circumstances. And I want to show you how he's going to immediately move to the next part. Look at verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Now, remember what we're saying. We're going to let our faith be the bridge to the unbeliever. What he's saying is, don't try to manipulate your husband, not first with words. Second, don't try to manipulate him with your beauty. Because if there's a woman who can do that, like, you know, I'll, you know what, what, Paul, or what Peter's saying is like, don't worry about painting the barn, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? He's saying, but it's more, go ahead and present yourself beautiful from the inside out. Don't be afraid of the outward. He's not, he's not condemning makeup in this scripture. What he's saying is here is that you have to start focusing on what God finds beautiful. Because what you found beautiful in God is what attracted you in the first place. So don't try to manipulate the situation once again with an outward force. Words are not going to work. Makeup is not going to work. Hairdos is not going to work. And that can be a thing because he's saying shift your focus 
off of the earthly temporary and put it on the eternal. And so you could say this in a particular way. If you do this, then you are showing not only God, but you are showing your husband, my full reliance is on God. I don't need to do those other things. My, my, my help, where does my help come from? It comes from the maker of heaven and earth. My faith is this. I want to have full reliance on the Lord. And if I want to go back to that part of verse 4, where it says, with incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. What he's saying, he's not saying once again, he's like not saying don't put on makeup and never speak up. What he's saying is don't you try to manipulate what only God can do. The flesh didn't win the wife over, so the flesh is not going to win the husband over. It's the spiritual, the Holy Spirit that came in and convicted and won your heart is going to convict him. And that's what he's saying right here is not to talk about a quiet and gentle spirit like a woman should never speak or, or, or raise concerns to her husband, but she, her, her spirit is not enraged. Her spirit is not fearful. Her spirit is not in a storm, so to speak, right? Her spirit is going like this. I don't know when, but I know how. Jesus is going to get a hold of him. So what my purpose and my uh, uh, like opportunity right now, my job is to serve the Lord on the way to him being one. Because at one point I was bound for hell and now I'm no longer bound for hell. One day I know that if I can show him the love of Jesus Christ, he can see that it's real in me because my reliance isn't trying to like out of desperation win him over. It's out of my love for God I will win him over because it was the love of God that won us over. Nobody here was held down by, God, by gunpoint to get saved. It was the love of the Lord that won us over. And it was because of that love was so gentle and so wonderful that we felt convicted to step forward to God. When you look at the cross, you don't go, oh man, I feel horrible, you know, just because I'm a bad person. You go also get drawn in by the grace. I feel horrible, but the grace of God has now washed me and made me clean. I can't help but praise the Lord like we just did, right? And so he's saying that's the presentation that you should be, a person that is fully reliant on the Lord. Look at verse five. He even connects it. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves. But how did they adorn themselves? What did they put on? By being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, are not afraid with any terror. Uh, this is a heavy verse, but I want to just break it down to you where it looks really easy to digest. Either you trust the Lord or you don't trust the Lord. That's it. Is God God? Yes. Is he God of the universe? Yes. Is he your God? Yes. Then trust him. This verse is actually saying something very phenomenal. It's interesting that they use Sarah and Abraham. Abraham is considered the father of our faith, is he not? He's actually considered the father of all faith. Like he's, he's where the nation of Israel came through, is Abraham. But how many times, if you go back to Genesis, was Abraham not the exemplary man that he was supposed to be? Well, neither was Sarah, so ladies, don't be so quick. You know, let's just jump on that. But what did they do together in their marriage? At different times, they were led by the Lord, right, and trusted the Lord and moved forward in the Lord. And then what he's saying is at a certain point, Sarah had to look at her husband and go, I know I'm 90 years old, but if you want to have a baby, let's have a baby. I mean, like, that's faith, right? And that's what it's going to say. You need to be a person that you can say, I have all these reasons why, um, and they might even be earthly good reasons why I don't, don't want to trust the Lord in this next step of faith, right? 
I, I have a lot. I've been burned before. I've been hurt before. Um, there's, I, I'm, not, I'm not made for these kind of arguments or confrontations with my husband. But if you trust the Lord first, you can trust the man in his calling. Not trust the man. Do you understand what I'm saying? Abraham wasn't always trustworthy, was he? But that's not what the calling was. The calling was to follow the Lord. And let the Lord work out the marriage. Let the Lord do the work. Follow the calling and follow the Lord into success. And so what he's saying is, don't try to use your influence over your husband as a way to, to win that situation. Surrender to God first and then surrender yourself to your husband. So you can use your beauty, but you should be using the beauty of your soul. You can use your words, but you should really be using the soothing words of Jesus Christ. And so it's a decision. He's saying to the women, anyone can choose to put down their flesh and dress in the spirit of the Lord, but you have to make that decision regardless of your situation. So we can see that's one of the first tragedies. Now, ladies, I just, I want to, I'm not saying this in an apologetic way. I think that the reason that the Lord gave us six verses, I think the Lord really loves women in this particular way. They've been called to submit to their husbands, but not all husbands are trustworthy. Not all husbands are godly, are they? But he knows what the calling of submission means for you. It doesn't change your equality. It doesn't change your competency. It doesn't change anything about you. It means you trust God. And in doing so, you have brought the gospel to your marriage, regardless if you've used the words or not. That's why women have six verses. Sometimes like it looks harsher on women. I think God is showing more love towards women. Here's seven. Here's the cavemen, right? Listen up, guys. Oh, oh, oh. here we go. Husbands, basic instructions. Ready? Dwell with them with understanding. Give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, meaning physical, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Just want to let you know, I feel like he wrote in cursive for the ladies and for the guys he wrote in crayon for basic instructions like, guys, be nice to your wives because that's where we're at. But there's something very amazing that it puts in there. Men are very goal-oriented, are we not? We're occupational. Why do men want to go see action movies? Because I want to see a big explosion. That's what I want to do. Women, why do they want to go see a, a movie with love? I want to see the relationship. I want to see how it works out. Peter is actually addressing this right now. Men, you know what your goal is? Your goal is to dwell with understanding. Do you understand what he's saying? It doesn't matter if you don't understand. Understand. That's what he's saying. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. Understand. Try these words on, husbands in this room. I understand even if you don't understand but you will be giving honor to your wife because why? You are heirs with grace. What the word is actually saying is uphold the grace that God has already given you. Your job is to bring grace. The wife is to bring submission and surrender and to follow through and to show you the surrender of a heart that trusts God first. The husband has to maintain the type of grace that brings harmony and unity to not only the world, but to his home. That is a higher calling in this way. The, the wife didn't get that calling, did she? She did not call to unity and grace. What did he get? Hey, you better make sure everything works. You better make sure that everything is unified. You better make sure everything is in line with God because if this house is out of line with God, it's on you. So that there's a heavier call to the man that particular way. So when we're looking at this, I want you to know he's aiming for unity and harmony despite the tragedy. Despite, it doesn't matter if you're in an argument. It doesn't matter if you have a disagreement. It doesn't matter if we're not aligned on finances or children. We are to fight for the grace and unity with God first and then over our wives. That's a goal that God has given. That's a command. Now, 
That's the marriage. Now let's move to another place. So he's talking about this. He's talking about the crisis that would call us and things that we would need. If, if you have a section in your Bible that has a chapter heading, mine says, called to the blessing. That's an interesting title in the middle of a crisis, isn't it? You're in the middle of a crisis, but you're called to a blessing. Look at verse eight. Finally, all of you. So first he was talking to the, the women and the men. First, now he's, talking, now he's talking to all the church, secondly. Finally, all of you be of one mind. He's actually saying it in this particular way. Have unity or harmony with the word of God. Be all of the mind of Jesus Christ. Look at the next part. Having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. What he's really saying is that there's going to be a time where one of us is going to be hurting really bad. And do you know what this church needs to be? It needs to be a soft landing place for one of our brothers and our sisters that are hurting so bad. And here's the instruction. I want you to love them like a family because we are family. I want you to see it right here. Uh, the first or the next point is going to say, all of us need to be one big family of God. So that means we need to be of the tradition of God. We need to be of the heart of God. We need to be of the mind of God. And that's what he's going to touch on. The first point he's going to say this, united family by sharing the mind of Jesus. And the reason why that's a command is who here is perfect? Not one of us. And so we have to say that this church is not perfect. So we shouldn't come in with an expectation of perfect. What we should come in with an expectation is we're united together in God. So don't trust Joey Everington. Don't trust me. Trust the Christ in me. Same thing with the husbands and wives before. Don't trust the wife. Don't trust the husband. Trust the Christ in the husband, in the wife, if you're having a disagreement. Yeah, you might look at me and go, this silly face, this face right now, just disagreeing with me on everything. But you need to step back and go, wait a minute, we're both children of God. And we have called to the responsibility to be a part of this family. God has called us to be united first in our family at home, but now here our family at church by sharing the mind of Jesus. God has not called us to a, uh, a love that we can conjure up ourselves. We're, we're, we're looking to the love of Jesus Christ. It's his love, not our love, right? That's what we're falling into. I can't love this person because they're driving me nuts, but I can love them with the love of the Lord. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. And so our faith needs to be in Jesus, not in Christians. Our faith needs to be in the Jesus of this church. And so we need to be a church of Jesus Christ. So that's the first point. So we need to be united by the Spirit, by sharing the mind of Christ. Second point he's bringing up, sympathy and suffering. Harmony is expressed through compassion. And harmony doesn't have anything to do with completely agreeing with a person. Uh, you could look at the Good Samaritan and see that. Were they religiously different? The man that was beaten and left on the side, religiously, were they different? Politically, were they different? Socially, were they different? I mean, just go down the line. Jesus nailed everything. But did that change your calling? No, your calling was to compassion. And thereby, looking at, look at verse 8 again, having compassion for one another. The compassion brings harmony, but harmony is expressed through compassion. I want to be in harmony with you. I don't care what you start with. I don't care what you believe. I want to bring you into the love and the family of Jesus Christ, and we'll start with compassion. The third thing he's saying is sharing in family love. And this might seem like a repetitive thing, but I want to let you know some of the words that we're using for family is phileo, brotherly love. Brotherly love, it's actually closer to a word like family love, like Philadelphia, right? The city of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, right? What we're talking about, Peter is saying, 
We are not talking about bringing perfect people to a perfect paradise. We're talking about bringing unlovable people to the love of God. But it first starts with compassionately loving them and then bringing them into that family love and showing the love that Christ showed you on the cross. If Christ died and made you co-heirs with him, you know, with his death and his resurrection, are you not a brother with Christ? Greater is no love, right, than the man that lays down his life for another. Has Christ shown you the love of a family member? Yes, and that's what he's saying right here. He's saying, you know what? The spirit, blood is thicker than water. We can say that, right? We know that we've heard that statement before. But how much more powerful is the spirit than blood? And put it this way. Um, are there people in your life, let's say even better, are there people in your family that don't love you like people of, the, of, your, of your church, of your church family, your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are there some spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ that have bonds that are deeper than your actual blood family? And will it last for eternity? That's the difference. And what the Lord is saying right there is not to like supersede or say, forget your family, not to deny your family. You've been called to minister there. In fact, that's your sphere of influence, your family. But what he's also saying is in a time of crisis, where should you go to your family? If one of our brothers and sisters are hurting, where should the family go to them? I remember one time, um, one of my uncles on the way to Thanksgiving dinner got into a wreck uh, with his car. And I'll just never forget how I watched as a young man, the whole family kick into gear. And everybody did with it. Like I had a one uncle that was like on the phone with the cops because he knew who the cops were, right? You know, I had another uncle that knew a guy with a tow truck, right? You know, it's like, and everybody's like, we got this. And the other, uh, the uncle that got into the car wreck, all he had to do was sit on a tree stump on the side of the road while one of my aunts, you know, doctored his head. Why? Because she had a medical background. You know, like everybody just went into gear for this one person. Why? Because in a time of crisis, who's been called to do it? The family. Where are your people? You ever see that in a, like a hospital movie or everything? Where's your people? Well, where is our people? Right here, full of Jesus Christ, ready to rally the way Christ rallied around us. And that's what he's saying right here. You should not walk out of this room and not realize this, that you are surrounded with brothers and sisters that you will walk into eternity with. We are forging those relationships today. And that's amazing if you think about this and you look around the room too. How do we succeed? Just look around. Don't, don't snicker too much when I say this. How many different personalities are in this room? styles and goals, right? How many radically different people are in here? How are we together in loving each other so much? The Holy Spirit has brought us into this family. And we share in the, in the love of Jesus Christ. So once again, family is not something that we feel. Family is something that we strive for. Following Christ together, which brings us to our last point of the, of the family section. Our fourth point should be this. We should be tender in our hearts towards each other. I want to remind you, We've touched on this word before. Tender means good-hearted. Another way to say it in the ancient translation to now is we should be humble towards each other. We should be humble towards each other. You know, the more, let me, let me bring you into this word of humble. The closer that I get to Christ, the more that I realize how wicked I am. You, 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 ever, you ever spend some time with the Lord and go, man, I am, man, I am just a fruitcake. I mean, it's like, I just... I can't do it. I'm like, as I'm reading Christ's life and as I'm moving and walking into the scripture and, and seeing how Christ lived, I don't live anything like this. I try to, but I can't. Like, my, like I, I try to achieve, but I just don't reach those levels. And you hit that moment where you're like, ugh, this, I'm not. But then you realize and you look around this room, that's all of us. I remember this one time I was sitting in church. I was looking at the back of this guy's head. He had a head tattoo, right? 
So I just want to paint the picture for you. He's in the front row, and he's first of all, he had a head tattoo. You know what the tattoo was? Of a face. So the whole time I'm worshiping, I'm looking at a face, and I'm judging this guy. I'm like, wow, they really let anybody in here, huh? <laughs> Look at this guy. I can't believe Christ would work on this guy. And right when they did the meet and greet, wasn't this church, it was a long time ago, I had hair down to here. I turned around, and I went to shake the hand of the guy behind me. I was like, hey, you know, and he goes, hey, uh, you need a barber? You need a, I got a, I got a, uh, I got a guy down the street. He'll do it for 10 bucks. I was like, what are you, t- are you kidding me? And I heard him when he sat down to his wife. You know what he said to his wife? Well, they let anybody up in here. <laughs> we need to be tenderhearted because just the way that I judged that guy, I was getting judged. But aren't we all people of the family of the redemptive work of Christ? Who would be here if not for the work of Christ? No one. So that's what the Lord is saying. So the Lord is saying right here, this is the kind of things that could divide a family or these are the kinds of things that could unite a family. And let me give you this uh, place and time. Just think about this. If we were not this, if we were the opposite, uh, let me just go back through these words real quick. Well, if we were a divided church, right? If we were a church of no sympathy, if we were a church that shared no family love, no hugs and kisses at meet and greet, right? If we were not humble towards each other, would you want to go to this church? Would you want to go to any church like that? No, it wouldn't matter. See, once again, what Peter is saying and what the Lord is saying is that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that dwells in this family. But this is what we do. We take this power and we make family happen. Because there's going to be days that I disappoint you. There's going to be days that I fail you. But it's the Jesus Christ that's in this family that will not ever fail us. And that is what we're working towards. So that's a humility. We live it out. You know what? I take it this way. My flesh takes a backseat to everything. I crown my heart with the love of the Lord, and I love you with it. Regardless of what your story is, regardless of what my story, I expect you to love me with the love of the Lord so that we can move forward together towards eternity. Now look at verse 10. He's going to quote Psalms to kind of bring that point around. He says, He who would uh, love life and see good days, that's all of us, Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit and let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You can hear this echoed in the Beatitudes. You know, when uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Because the eyes of the Lord are upon us. The Lord, remember, we're in the section of the tragedy. We're saying calling to the blessing. And so what, the, what he's saying is, you're going you're gonna to walk into this, to this thing going, you know what? I really want to put Jesus forward. I want to love this person, right? I want to take care of this person. And then you find out they're a Patriots fan and you go, Lord, it's too tough. As a Dolphin fan, this is too tough. This, too, this can't be done. They're yeah, they're suffering enough. Amen. Y'all, we're preaching now. No, I don't divide the church. I'm sorry, I went too far. But I wanted to let you know what he's saying through, he's actually using King David's words, who was a guy that oversaw a kingdom that could have been split. And the words that he's saying are, you have to be careful. You must let Jesus speak through you. You must not let your flesh take over. Unless what the words that come out of your lips align with the Lord, it's not worth even saying. Because it's not, it's not worth it to turn the Lord against you. You must conduct yourself. Look at that last part, the last part of that verse. You must conduct yourself knowing God's eyes are on you. It changes what you say the moment that you realize that the Lord is dwelling in your heart, listening to every word. 
It's not that like God's in heaven looking down. God has taken residence in your heart. He dwells there. He gets his mail there. That's his address. And you're going to use those words, the breath that God gave you to break down another child of God. You have the responsibility of honoring the Lord from that mercy seat. The mercy that you've received, you're now pouring out to somebody who may not, let's be real, may not deserve it. But you're going to give it. Because did you deserve it? No, but you still received it, didn't you? From the cross. And so that's what we have to do. We have to live a life of harmony and we have to be the place of sanctuary in the world because the world already has no harmony. The world already has division. The world has all this. You remember this thing um, back in the day? It was like in the 80s. It was like, if you got caught on fire, stop, drop, and roll. Everybody remember, very successful campaign. Well, we'll start a new campaign in this church. It's gonna be stop, drop, and speak peace because the world is on fire. The world is on fire. You know, suffering has been mentioned 17 times in this book alone. And Peter is acutely aware that the people that are reading this letter right now are suffering because they love Jesus Christ, not because they deserve the attacks that they're getting, right? But what is the calling nonetheless? Speak peace. Speak harmony. Have a humble heart. Even if somebody walks into this church right now and causes a problem and you're like, let's throw them out. The Lord says, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. That could be you. The same peace and harmony that I showed you, I want you to adorn yourself. I want you to cover it and I want you to bless them. And so what were we doing? Righteousness and sin is always going to collide. Did it collide with Jesus? Did Jesus run into problems by speaking righteousness? Even in Israel, even to the people of the word, right? The Pharisees, he had a problem. But what did he do? He spoke peace. He spoke the truth. He spoke to the sinner, said, come to the Lord. Now, I want you to see what the result is if you walk through tragedy this way. Look at verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Remember where we started with the wife? She has a husband at home who rejects the word, right? But she's supposed to live out the gospel in front of him. Now look at verse 15, what's happening? Wait, why do you have hope in you? Now be ready to give a defense. Now be ready to give the words. And for and. Uh, I want to give to the people that are into this. That word defense is the word apologia or apologetics. Give a reasonable response why you believe in God, why you have hope. Why is the person even asking this? Because you lived it out the first 17 verses. The first, the first verses from uh, one all the way up to 12, you've lived out the gospel. You've shown them, I love God and I love his love despite my circumstances. And God has raised me up, Right? And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, well, be ready to give an answer at that moment because now, guess what? With meekness and fear, you're going to show them with love and reverence and submission to God. They now go, what's different about you? Why do you have hope that I don't have? They're attracted to the Jesus Christ inside of you. So I'm just going to ask this question really quick. Where does my hope come from? You have to know that. You have to be able to give an answer. Why do you have hope in Jesus? I want you to look at Hebrews on the screen. It says, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them in the middle of tragedy, right? Verse 11, we want each of you to show them the same diligence to the very and so that you, so that what you have, you hope for may be fully realized. Verse 12, we do not want you to become lazy, 
but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Remember, I'm going to go back to Daniel. Did Daniel on the other side of tragedy inherit what God promised? That he inherited a faithful God. Time after time, Daniel inherited a faithful God. And so what we have to say is that we're not operating in blind faith. We're operating in full faith. My faith is not in the situation. My full faith is in God. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Hey, look, if we make it through this, Paul says, if they hit me with rocks, I'll push off the rocks and go to the next town and preach the word and those people will get saved. If they lock me in a prison, well, I'll just praise the Lord and the Lord will bring an earthquake. If I get bit by a snake, who cares? Doesn't matter. We're moving forward until I die. And if I die, guess what? I'm in the presence of the Lord. Has the Lord been faithful all the way? My full faith is in Jesus Christ. And so I'm walking that out to the end. And when somebody sees that it's authentic inside of you, the world is desiring something genuine. You understand that everything across the world that isn't God is counterfeit and it's falling apart, is it not? And what we have is the genuinely divine God from heaven who not only has come to us and saved us, but is living in us. And that's why he's saying, look at verse 16. Having a good conscience, that what they defame you as evildoers, those who revile you, your good conduct in Christ, may be ashamed for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. I'm gonna just break that down to our Christians suffering today for speaking the truth. Our Christians suffering for even just living out the truth. Across the planet, it's not just here, just everywhere. But what he's saying is, you have to be a billboard for Christ because Christ has been faithful to you. You be faithful to Christ. Don't water it down. Don't water it down. You might be suffering, but it's for a good cause. And that suffering can produce, remember the seed? On the other side of that shell, something good is gonna come out of it and you will have rewards. And the Lord has said in Hebrews in here, I'm not gonna forget your rewards. We don't talk about that enough. There is a compensation package. And the Lord has seen it, and it is waiting for you in heaven. We are, oh, I just do it because I love Jesus. I just want to let you know, I'm reading the same Bible. I'm doing it for the rewards. I don't know what you're doing it for. I'm doing it for the rewards. The Lord has said it right here, but I just can't wait for the Lord to see his face in heaven, him saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Just to be in that position is an amazing thought. So let's just see what that suffering looks like. I'm going to challenge you. This part of the verse is the hardest to understand for even scholars, but we're going to make it digestible, but stick with me, okay? Look at verse 18. This is where suffering lived in Jesus' life, and this is how it plays out in our life. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, right? So what is the goal of earthly tragedy? You can look up on the screen as we just stop here for a second. What is the goal of earthly tragedy? Is Christ follower's life? is to yield a spiritual triumph. This was, must be what I do the moment that I hit a crisis. The moment I hit a crisis, I can look at Jesus' life and go, Jesus suffered, did he not? Jesus even said, let this cup pass from me if it's your will. That's how much he wanted the tragedy not to come to him. But did he receive it? There was a spiritual triumph. I want you to put that in your mind. Ask yourself, what will be the spiritual triumph that God will pull out of this situation for you on the other side. Now I want you to look at verse 19 to see what that looked like. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. This is where it gets difficult, but I'm gonna lay it out for you guys. He's gonna talk about Noah in a second. 
but there's a dual, there could be a dual meaning, some scholars believe, is that when Jesus died, he went into the grave, right? Luke 16 says that, you know, there's the, the rich man and Lazarus went and died together, and then the poor man was in, was in the, the Abraham's bosom. On the other side was the rich man who went to Hades, right? And he said, hey, if you could just reach across the gulf and put water on my tongue, I'd be okay. And he says, I can't, I can't. We're waiting for the Lord over here. You, you're in another place. I can't go to that place. That's the bad place. I'm in the good place. Well, some people believe that the Lord came and spoke to these prisoners who were in captivity waiting for Jesus. So Jesus went down in the tomb after his death, right? And during that time, he spoke to the prisoners and led them to heaven. He spoke, a, I guess, maybe a two or three day sermon. Wouldn't that be amazing? Can you imagine Jesus preaching for two or three days? And then he marched in heaven. But more importantly, I want you to see what the Bible's really saying. He's saying the flesh died and then the spirit did something amazing. I want you to see verse 20, what he said. These spirits who were formerly disobedient went once into the divine love and suffering waiting in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Now there is a spiritual baptism they're talking about. Some people use this as a physical baptism. It's not talking about a physical baptism. We're talking about a spiritual baptism. The moment that you entered into your life with Christ, you were baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. You are no longer the old man. You are the new man. The old is gone. The new has come, right? And so that's what he's saying here. But what's amazing about it is he's saying this. uh, Noah had a moment where he was building the ark and he was preaching the word, right? He was preaching the word. Did the people accept it? Did the people of the towns around him accept it? No, but seven other souls did. Was it uncomfortable for them? Yes. Did he get rejected? Did he get made fun of? Did he, did, did, you know, did he feel like maybe I'm failing God because nobody's getting saved? Did he suffer? He absolutely suffered to lose everything. But the water that actually raised Noah up also punished the other people, didn't it? Isn't it amazing how the power of the Lord came and the power of the Lord raised some up and the power of the Lord crushed some down? But who did it raise up? Those who were surrendering in the suffering to the Lord. And what happened on the other side? We had a new covenant, didn't we? It, uh, Noah and his family, once the, once the ark parked, right? You guys know the story, 40 days, 40 nights, 150 days, they were up there in the water. The boat hits the mountain. They all come out into what? Into a new covenant. Let me give you a closer word, a new testament. They walked out. They started one way in the suffering, and spiritually they walked out in the covenant. Remember what the Lord said? I give you a rainbow because this is my covenant. It's a sign of my covenant. Now I want you to see what he says to us in the New Testament. Look at verse 21. This is also an antitype, which now saves us. Baptisms, some of your Bibles might say this, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. So what is a good conscience? Spiritual victory. So I might go through suffering, but what happens on the other side of it? I've been delivered from what I suffered from because maybe what I was suffering from was me. Maybe the thing I was suffering was my sin. Maybe the suffering of my family. But on the other side, guess what? There's a new me, a type or look at this word again, verse 21, anti-type. So what was the type? Noah going into the ark. What is the anti-type or the type that goes over or the more powerful type? What is the more powerful type? Us in Jesus Christ. You have been delivered in Jesus Christ, not just from a flood, but into a good conscience. Now look at this. 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. You could be Noah right now. There could be women, there could be men that are going home and preaching the word and then they feel like it's falling on deaf ears. But the Lord says, let me be the one that raises you up. Let me be the one that judges. Let me be the one that pours in my power. Let me be the one that delivers you a new harvest on the other side of whatever seed that you're planting. It may be uncomfortable. You may be being made fun of right now. You maybe even feel like you're being submerged into the waters. But remember, the same waters that was crushing everybody else is the water that lifted Noah up. And that water is Jesus Christ. And he is flooding into your life daily. And what he's saying right now is you are being prepared for an eternity with Christ. So lock into your life with Jesus Christ. Are you going to grip onto anything in this world? Or are you going to grip onto the hand of Jesus Christ? When Jesus Christ comes and collects us, is there anything that we're taking with us other than our love of Jesus Christ? Nothing. And so what he's saying is the real ministry takes place in the spirit. So on the other side of a tragedy, there could be a new you. A new you that trusts the Lord, that follows the Lord, that understands the Lord and says, you know what? I might not always get what you're doing, but I trust you. I might not understand what you're doing in my marriage, but I trust you. I might not like your timing. I know I've been there. I don't know if you've been there, Robin. Like, I mean, any day now, right, Jesus? But on the other side of it, is it not always beautiful when you realize it was God all along that poured grace into your situation, into your ark? got you to Mount Ararat, and then produced a new covenant with you? How many new covenants have you realized that you've had with the Lord that you didn't before until you went through a tragedy with the Lord? That's what he's saying is that these particular trials, they prove light and they're momentary, but they produce an eternal glory that outweighs anything that we're facing today. So our hope is this, that one day we will stand before this same God that's pouring into us now and he will wipe every tear from our eye. And there will be one tear that will be the last tear. And we will look at Jesus Christ in the face on the other side of everything that we've gone through and say, you were always worthy of it all. So before we pray, I'm just going to ask you this one question. You're in a tragedy. You're in a crisis. God sees you. You understand that. What spiritual triumph is he going to bloom on the other side of that for you? You and Jesus must walk that path together. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray right now. There are people with pain in this room. There are people with hurt, broken relationships. Lord, I just pray right now that if anybody could turn tragedy into triumph, it's you. Let our hearts become a testimony to your greatness. Lord, pour your Holy Spirit into whatever the, I know it's on people's hearts right now, that there is forgiveness that has to flow right now, that there are, jaded hearts that have been so cold and they have been like stone that they need to be softened and moved towards first to you and then towards their loved ones or toward their family members. Lord, release the captives from that bitterness and that rage. Release the captives from the shackles of that prison of that moment. Let them not be prisoners of the moment. Let them be captives of your love. So Lord, I just pray right now that you speak the eternal words of hope and peace and lay it on heavy hearts to make them tough. Lord, we cast our cares and our burdens on you because your yoke is easy and your burden is light and we know that you can walk us through. 
We know that we can walk through the Red Sea with you. We know we can walk through the wilderness with you. We know we can walk from here to the promised land with you because it is you that sustains us. It's you that it provides. And ultimately, you are the promised one. In the name of Jesus Christ, I speak your name to our lives. In Jesus' holy name, amen.